Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. So I'm wearing my, uh, my dad's old Steeler jersey, if you're wondering. Mean Joe Green from the 70s. Most of us weren't alive then, but if you watch any of the old film, they were an unstoppable football team. Also wearing my King Trout hat, which was uh, one of the uh, uh, things me and my dad, we would go fly fishing a lot. One of probably my best memories with him. Uh, and we would always compete for whoever was King Trout, whoever caught the most fish. And so I started a nonprofit after his death a couple years ago uh, in honor of prostate cancer victims. So if you're wondering why, I, I, in the words of Adam, I look like I'm about to have a rap video. Uh, <laughs> That is why. He probably feels bad now, but <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, I really should have. I was, I was just setting you up, yeah. Uniquely enough, we're talking about a passage that is like, it's funny, a lot of times, you know, Mother's Day, they, they have like a really positive, uplifting passage for Mother's and Father's Day. Uh, most people just don't go to church and go grill or go on a hike with their father. But, uh, but today, we're, we've been going through this uh, series through Matthew. We're going through every single verse. We're, we're not really pulling back any punches because we believe Matthew has value in what he's saying in every verse. And today, we're actually talking about uh, a pretty interesting passage that is dealing with sexual desire. So, uh, happy Father's Day, 2021. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's the way it worked, but I'm, I'm going with it. But um, I want to start off, actually, I... Um, I want to tell you my story. I haven't gotten to really actually with some of you before. Uh, I haven't really got to do it on a Sunday. But I, um, one of the most unique things about uh, my childhood, and, and my sister would attest to this, is that I was homeschooled until eighth grade. And, uh, you know, I wasn't like, fortunately, I played enough sports where I, I wasn't like incredibly socially awkward. Although if you've hung out with me for more than 10 minutes, maybe you're like, yeah, that guy's weird. Uh, but... Uh, in actuality, I went to, when I went to public school in eighth grade, it wasn't like this insane culture shock, but, uh, like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Mean Girls, where Katie, like, wants to go to the bathroom, and she, like, just starts to go, and she's like, where are you going? And she's like, the bathroom? And I thought that was so weird, that I have to, like, ask someone to go use the bathroom, but that's how schools are, I guess. Um, so I did have a little bit of that, but I wasn't, like, traumatized. I wasn't like, man, like, I don't know how to socialize. These people are weird. They make jokes. I don't know. Like, it didn't feel like that, because I was playing four sports at the time, and so I was just constantly around my friends, and at school felt like, wow, I'm going to get seven more hours with these people. Um, However, at that time, you know, you're trying to hang out with the cool kids, and so our group of friends was, I would deem them the cool kids. I was definitely the fringe of the cool group, Um, but we went over, this was in seventh grade, went over to my, uh, one of my friend's houses, and this was like the big invite. It was like, wow, if I go here, like, I'm locked in, you know what I mean? Forever. I'll be cool until I'm dead. Um, and we went over to their house, and it was a sleepover, and uh, we had a great time. And then it's like 11 o'clock at night. All of a sudden, one of the boys turns on a porn movie. And there's like probably 15 of us in the basement. And I'm just sitting there, a little bit like, what is going on? Um, but honestly, this became the norm for this group of friends. And we would go to sleepovers and watch porn. Uh, and, and really from there, that was kind of my introductory period towards um, pornography and masturbation. And it really started there. And I think the main, I actually kind of knew intrinsically that like this is not right. In fact, I, I remember that night in my brain uh, trying to like sleep through it. Um, but it's tough when everyone's giving you a hard time because it's like you're the only one trying to sleep through it. 
uh, and obviously, you know, your parents say, hey, just call me if any, there's any trouble, and you're like, yeah, okay, and uh, you know what I mean? I'm not going to call my parents, um, pick me up, but uh, it really kind of started me on this path, and because I, I had felt like really I was alone in it, um, you know, it didn't go well, and I started to become addicted to pornography and masturbation, and, and, and it really wrestled, I, I wrestled with it for about three, four years, uh, and I tell this story because I think me seeing Jesus and in in, uh, really finding freedom in this was one of the most formative moments of my life. Um, but unfortunately, so many people struggle with this and no one talks about it. And it's aggravating because uh, I think that the devil is laughing at us um, because we are so terrified of talking about it, because we feel shame around it, because we feel guilt. And uh, so today is one of these passages where it's going to feel incredibly uncomfortable. And it's going to feel uncomfortable for two ways. One, one is that you are deeply consumed in pornography right now, and you haven't told anyone, or you've been dealing with it, or you've been wrestling with it, or you've, you've tried to fight it, and you just, like, you're just struggling, and you're, and you're aggravated by it. Uh, the other group camp is people who really it hasn't touched them that they know of in a severe way, and, and so they're kind of wondering, like, what is what about this? It's kind of like if you've ever been around an addict, maybe you haven't been around an addict before, and this is your first time, and you're like, I don't know why they can't just get clean. Why can't they just stop doing what they're doing? Why do they have to lie? Why do they have to steal? Why do they have to do all these things? And it's like, you just don't understand. And so the two camps of us here that are today, uh, you're going to feel comfortable no matter what. So uh, I am sorry for that, but I do believe that what is going to be talked about today is incredibly important. So I want us to jump in. Um, Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5. Adam gave a great teaching last week on how not to murder people. And uh, he joked with me this week. He said, you know, we're talking about, you know, I like to, when people speak, I like to give a story to, to like, help, you know, make the teaching real. And, and I said, well, I'll be honest here. I don't really, one, I don't have any stories about murder. And two, I don't really have any funny stories. So I, I don't know what I'm going to do here. Uh, he said, but at least I don't have what you have for the next few weeks. <laughs> because if you have a story on sexual desire or uh, adultery or a couple other ones, then uh, that might be pretty difficult. So I didn't have a story, just unfortunately it wasn't funny. But this, this is, is one of those passages where uh, Jesus is, is not messing around. And I say that because the severity of what he, he believes to be adultery and lust and, and this realm of pornography and, and all this is just consuming people, and he'll have none of it. And so I want us to read this uh, passage is in verse 27. It's chapter 5, verse 27. I'm going to read it, uh, and we'll go through it. It says, You have heard it said, Do not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into hell. Now, this is, uh, this is pretty drastic, it seems. Um, if you've been familiar uh, with the Hammurabi Code, which is the law at the, at the time this was written, that was standard for a lot of other countries, uh, it was very much like an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You know, like if you do something wrong, the kind of equal standard is given to you. And, uh, and so gouging out an eye, cutting off an arm was actually not incredibly uh, uncommon in, in certain types of breaking certain laws. Now we throw them people in jail. Back then it was like, well, you stole, so... We're just going to cut off your hand, because that's what happens. And so we, we, we read this now, we're kind of like, that's ridiculous. At the time, they would have had some sort of association with it, but still would have thought, this is kind of crazy. Uh, and what I think we need to realize, what I kind of want to draw the framework behind, is we look at this passage and we think, well, adultery, that's like incredibly far off. Like, I don't, 
know very many people in my life who've committed adultery. I don't, never will, or never, not close to it. Or you just doesn't feel very like very tense in your life because it maybe doesn't feel incredibly there. But what Jesus is drawing at is much deeper than just adultery. And so one thing that I think is incredibly normal to all of us is the, like I said, the pervasiveness and the black hole that is the uh, pornography um, world. In fact, uh, I have some stats, just if, if you don't believe me. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, N- NBA, and MLB combined. It's also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. They make about $100 billion a year, and Hollywood makes around $10 billion. So 10 times greater than Hollywood. Two-thirds of the human trafficking issue in the world, uh, so if you talk about human trafficking, slavery, two-thirds of them are dealing with sex slavery. Uh, sex trafficking is actually a huge business, and it generates almost $100 billion on its own, and uh, an estimated 4.8 million people are trapped or forced into sexual uh, exploitation globally. This is wild, but according to Fight the New Drug, which is a really cool uh, organization, they took statistics on Pornhub, which is one of the world's most popular pornographic sites, in 2019, it had 1.36 million hours of content. Uh, they said that if you started watching that content in 1850, you'd still be watching it today. There's so much data transferred in the porn industry that if you loaded them onto hard drives and you stacked them up on top of each other, it would reach 70 to 80 miles high or the edge of space. Now, we think, well, that's just the world. You know, I grew up in a Christian home or I go to church, so that doesn't affect me. The statistics for Christian men between ages 18 and 30 are actually just as striking. 77% look at pornography at least monthly. 36% view pornography on a daily basis, so one in third Christian men, basically. 32% admit to being addicted to pornography, and another 12% on top of that uh, think they may be. The numbers are incredibly similar for uh, ages 31 to 49. 64% view it monthly. 77% said they looked at pornography while at work in the past three months. 18% 18% admit to being addicted. 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. And even married Christian men are falling prey to pornography and extramarital sexual affairs at alarming rates. 55, I said, I said earlier, uh, 35% of Christian men have had an extramarital affair. Uh, three out of every five divorces are caused by the root of pornography. So, uh, if that doesn't make you think that it's all around you, hopefully that was, that was is helpful. Um, but I also like the science of it because if you have friends who don't believe in Jesus and they want to try to play the whole uh, porn is good for love, it, it's, um, it's totally fine. Uh, porn, uh, what it does to your brain is actually astronomical. In fact, um, when you look at porn, it releases several different hormones. Uh, this is kind of nerdy, but I think it matters. Uh, Neoreperfine, I think I'm saying it right, is released, which creates alertness and focus. It's similar to adrenaline. Uh, And sex or porn can trigger releases of oxytocin and vasopressin. These hormones have actually been proven to lay long-term memories, and it binds a person's memories to the object which gave that person sexual pleasure, which is why there's statistics about people who cohabitate and sleep together before marriage have further problems uh, in the long term. If you're sexually promiscuous, you're essentially releasing vasopressin to all these different people, and it dilutes your ability to connect to your partner. Uh, It also releases endorphins, which are a natural opiate, which creates a high. Uh, Sexual release also brings serotonin to a level point of calmness and relaxation. And lastly, probably the most talked about, is unhealthy high levels of dopamine are released into the brain's center responsible for emotions and learning. It supplies pleasure Uh, And the next time you crave it, it's like a drug. You want more and more because your baseline has been changed. 
What was so fascinating about the dopamine study that I was reading was uh, they are correlating it almost directly to depression and anxiety. It says that in agreement with this observation, porn consumers report greater depressive symptoms, lower quality of life, and poorer mental health compared to those who don't. Other compelling uh, finding in the study is that compulsive porn consumers find themselves wanting and needing more porn, even though they don't necessarily like it. That sentence right there, you can plug that in for any addict ever. They start to do something because they love the original high, and then the rest of their entire addiction is trying to get back to that original high, knowing that they don't even really like what, what it's doing to them. Researchers, uh, this is the last one, researchers at the Max Planck Institute in Berlin, Germany, found that higher porn use correlated with less brain activation in response to conventional material, and this explains why users tend to graduate to more extreme and unconventional forms of porn. Uh, it Pornhub analytics revealed that conventional sex is decreasingly less interesting to users and is being replaced by more violent themes. They have found that it erodes, porn erodes, the prefrontal cortex of your brain, the region of your brain that houses functions like morality, willpower, impulse control. And so it's important to know that, uh, that while this is underdeveloped as a child, uh, this is why, and this is why children struggle to regulate their emotions and impulses, which is why teenagers are so fun to parent. Uh, it says damage to the prefrontal cortex by watching porn in adulthood is termed hypofrontality, which is essentially the same thing as being a teenager. Your, your brain is not fully working and you have trouble making decisions. In the last sentence, the much greater irony is that while porn promises to satisfy and provide sexual gratification, it delivers the exact opposite. So there's the science, there's the worldly perspective, and, uh, and I'm just using porn because the statistics are everywhere, uh, but it, porn, uh, adultery, lust, all of these type of things, we can't always quantify them easily, but our world is consumed by this. It's driven by it. It's, it's all about money. And so we read this passage, and we think, this just feels far off for me. Uh, I know it's extreme, but it just doesn't feel like it really needs to be extreme. And what I, what I want us to realize as we read this is that Jesus saying these words is incredibly pro-sex, meaning like he, is, he has helped uh, be the creator of it. Uh, we know this if you look in the first two pages of your Bible. God is talking all about creating humans. In fact, he says they are very good. And the culmination of the creation story is one of my favorite verses. I read it in premarital counseling because I think it's awesome. It says in verse 24, This is why a man leaves his wife and his mother and unites with his wife, and they become one family, or flesh, in other words. And it says, The man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. God is pro-sex. Jesus is pro-sex. He's not like, don't talk about it, don't do it, don't think about it. And so that is not what we can draw from this. And we feel a lot of shame and guilt around all this area, but we, we realize like Jesus is not calling us into that. In fact, if you, there's eight chapters in a book called the Song of Solomon in your Bible that is literally all about this erotic, symbolic love between lovers. It's incredibly intense. If you read a commentary on it, uh, some of the symbolism is just like, man, I don't even think I could say that to my wife. It's so intense. So we know that God values it. Uh, we know that he placed tons of nerve endings in specific parts of our bodies to enjoy sex. So we know that he created it for something for us to enjoy. He created it for us to be able to procreate. And so uh, we know that, it, 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 that God does this, but I think it's hard for us to feel as, as much hatred as we can around the, the destruction of, of healthy, godly human sexuality, but also loving the good of it. It's really hard to, like, to fully run it both. 
Um, because they, and you, if you're struggling with it in your own life, the lines become blurred and you start to be, have difficulty with it, which is a lot of reason why pastors don't talk about this on stage is because they have their own porn addiction and they feel incredibly guilty talking about it. And, uh, and that's, that's the weight of trying to deal with how do we have a God who's pro-sex, like pro-intimacy, but also extremely anti-porn, anti-degration, anti-lust, anti-adultery, because they, they seem to blur. And so in verse 27, Jesus is, is quoting from the Old Testament. We've talked about how Jesus has come to fulfill the law. It does not mean that he's kicking it aside. We can still eat bacon, praise God. But that we, in the midst of all of these laws, we, we've taken the, the external re- meaning for it, meaning when you, when you run through a, a red light, the external is people see your car going through a red light, uh, and you can cause damage to someone else. You can kill someone. You can run over someone, whatever it may be. Um, but typically, the internal, the reason why we do that is because we think we need to be somewhere. We think we're more important, or we literally weren't paying attention. That's the internal uh, issue from the law. And so what they had been focusing on was when you run a red light, they don't really care about why you did it. But at the end of the day, why you did it is probably more important because that will help you change your, whether you're not going to keep running red lights. And so he's quoting, you shall not commit adultery. This was a, 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 one of the Ten Commandments. It was incredibly important. If, if you were caught, both parties were liable to be killed, both man and woman. So it wasn't just like a man could go sleep with this woman and be like, ha-ha, sorry, you got to die, and I don't. But both of them were liable and guilty. It was extremely, uh, uh, extremely uh, high law. And Jesus uses this phrase, and he used it last week, he used it this week, he used it the next four weeks, and he says, but I say to you, in verse 28, whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you look at uh, different translations, um, we read the the net each week, um, but there's some different translations here. It says, whoever looks at a woman to desire her, whoever looks at a woman lustfully, whoever looks at a, a woman with lustful intent, whoever looks at a woman with lust for her. They're all kind of a little bit different, and it actually gets confusing because you want to know, okay, like, at what point, though, is this sin? Am I allowed to, like, walk, see a girl walk down the street and be like, wow, that girl's beautiful? Is Jesus saying I can't even do that? Is he saying I'm not even allowed to look at a woman? Like, I just need to, like, not make eye contact ever? Uh, like, what is he actually saying here? And every version kind of gives you this little bit of a nuance, and it's confusing. Um, and so I think the best meaning, the best way to understand it, and kind of what he's getting at is, Anyone who stares at someone in order to feel sexual desire for them, it, which is different than looking at someone and deeming them attractive. In fact, this is actually honoring God. We, we're able to say, I think that thing is beautiful. That's actually a part of God when he created the earth. He said, that's good, and that's good, and that's good. You can totally do that. In fact, the most practical way that I've, I've heard this said uh, was from a buddy who I did youth ministry with in Arizona. It was like the most simple, like oversimplified thing, but he just said, hey, what I tell boys is, first, one, first look at a girl is, is God, second look is on you. And what he means is like, you can look at a girl and be like, wow, she's pretty. But when you look again, that, that's, when you, that's when you're in trouble. Uh, and it's oversimplified, but the idea is, is really true. That, that there's these good things that God gives us throughout the entire world. Anything, really, when you think about it, is a great thing God has given us. But that thing can very much become an idol whether in, in, in extremely unhealthy ways. Money, it's a good thing. We can do good things with it. Helps us to love others, be generous. Can also become our idol. We talk about um, even like you know the Israelites when they're trudging through the, uh, the 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 desert and God gives them food and they that's a good thing. But then they start storing it up because they want to be selfish. They don't want to rely on God. It becomes a bad thing. So 
all, all of sins, a lot of them are God's good thing that's been perverted and being used and abused and degraded without any concern for his intent for it. And I think with the thing with adultery and why Jesus is so just not having it is because we're degrading the beauty of God's finest creative work. We're taking God's best painting and we are just degrading it. And there's very few things, I think, that, that can help us feel the weight of that. But knowing the reality of what it's doing in our hearts is why it's such a big deal to him. And so hopefully the statistics that I read help you kind of understand the weight of it. Hopefully the science does. But more importantly, the reason why this is so important is because God, God is so um, excited and glorified by marriage, healthy marriage and sex in the right confines. Um, and so when we take his awesome symbol that he created and we just tarnish it, it is, it is just devastating. In fact, there's, there's really no other illustration in the Bible that's as intimate in understanding our relationship with God than marriage. And marriage is like this idea that, 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 that God uses throughout the Bible to show the intimacy of his relationship with us and, and how when you get married on earth with a partner, that you're showing that love tangibly to other people and each other in your relationship. And so I, adultery goes against that very relationship that is like the most obvious and intimate in, in God, talked about way in the Bible, it's going against that very thing. And it's, it's just, he's not going to have it. And it, it's, it's like, if you think about like water, you think about water is great. Water, you can't go more than a day or two without water. Water has so many great uses, it's a great thing, but if, if I was to just throw you out in the middle of the ocean, water will kill you. It will. Even though it's a great thing, if, if, if I just throw you out, and it's the same with fire. Fire is great. It can provide warmth, light. It can cook things. When you're in the wilderness, fire, if you watch any wilderness shows, first thing I got to do, they got to make that fire. Got to boil that water, because it'll kill you. And, but at the end of the day, if that fire is not controlled, it will burn down everything. It will kill you. In fact, even if your house catches on fire, a lot of times the smoke, the damage from the smoke will kill you. It's, fire is, is beautiful. It's, it's God's creation, but it is incredibly dangerous because once a fire starts, it's, a, it's, it's like trying to have a bonfire at a gas station. You know, you just, why do it? You're, ask, you're asking for an explosion. You put anything near it, it's just flammable. It's going to explode. And so Jesus here in verse 29, this is what he's saying. He says, it's better for your right eye, if your right eye causes you to sin, Tear it out and throw it away. It's better to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better than to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into hell. And so he uses this idea of a right eye and a right arm. If you care about, you know, the nerdy context here, your right eye at this time was your good eye. Some of you are like, you know, I think I'm left eye dominant, but your right eye was culturally your good eye. So it's like taking out your best eye, which in the Bible is used... Uh, it has a symbol called, uh, they call it the lamp of the body, which means like it illuminates for you. Uh, the lamp of the body, he's basically saying that if either one of them causes you to slip up, that it's the gateway to your soul. It's like lighting a fire at a gas station. It's fine at, at, the fr at first, but after a while, there's a good chance it's going to explode and just destroy everything. And the, the eye is the gateway to your soul. And if he says, if it's causing you to stumble, take it out, cut it out, throw it away. Because the ramifications of you not doing that is your entire body will be thrown out. Your entire body will be destroyed. And he's using this idea because I think we don't realize that our eyes, in the gateway to our soul, will automatically cause external sin. 
in our lives and in other people's lives. The thing that's so terrible and, and tricky and that Satan uses so well about pornography, adultery, it's all rooted in secrecy and lies. No, very few people are outwardly like, yeah, I'm having an affair and everyone's cool with it. Like, it's, it's hidden. It's uh, rooted in secrecy and deception and manipulation and lying. And in the same way, what goes in your eye most times is hidden. People don't actually know what you're thinking. Now, if you're, I mean, maybe your man is happening to you, but ladies, if you've ever been with someone where you've seen a guy just kind of like go like this, like you almost feel naked. You have clothes on, but you can, you can just feel the weight of it. But most times, and, and the thing with pornography is most people are doing it in secrecy. They're, they're, they're letting these things go through their eyes. It's sucking into their soul. No one's aware of it. But we know, based on the statistics, the external is obvious. Depression, anxiety, lack of love, difficulty um, in, in sex. There's so many of these things. And so we consume these things, and we think the devil tells us this is in secret. It's not really that big of a deal. But in reality, it's actually affecting everyone around us. And so the Pharisees at this time were policing these laws, the external, without regard for the internal. And Jesus is saying, look, the internal ramifications of this are far greater than you even realize. And that's why he's going to this extreme. And the right arm is, has two potential meanings. Uh, one actually could be a euphemism for a male sexual organ. Um, I don't necessarily love that, that commentary uh, statement, but people write it, so... I wouldn't put all my eggs in that basket. The second one, which I think is more plausible, is that the right hand, and I said this earlier, the hand usually dealt with theft. So it was uh, culturally back then, adultery was, and this is hard to understand. I will say this, and you'll be like, I don't believe you, Trey. Adultery was actually far more against the law in terms of theft than it was an act of like intimacy violence. Meaning like, like the man would be more mad that he felt like his wife got taken, that it was thievery, it was theft, than the idea of like this emotional disconnect that she was wanting to, you know, um, to adultery with this guy. And so the hand is, is Jesus basically saying, hey, yeah, it is still theft, like you understand it, because that was what they cared about. Unfortunately, at this time, women were kind of property, and so it was like, you're taking my property. It was theft. But he also has the eye showing you it's much deeper than just theft. It's lust. And lust is like this weird word that we, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys ever use that? Probably not. Nobody's like using the word lust, but lust is, is basically to set your heart upon something. In fact, it's, very, it's, it's not a synonym per se, but it's similar to the word covet. If you've, no one probably uses that word either, but lust and covet. It's wanting something that isn't yours. And, and I think the idea that, that we, we can so honestly want something that isn't ours and no one know about it. And we can, we can like, you know, we can want the, the girl, the wife, or whatever, or the car, or the house, or the boat, or whatever it is, right? Like, you can covet those things. And internally, you think that no one can know, and I'm just going to keep it a secret. And the ramifications of that are just drastic. And so Jesus here, it seems like he's being ridiculous. And, and I will tell you, just to save you from having to go out and gouge your eye out or cut your arm off, which uh, actually one of the greatest theologians in the first few centuries actually castrated himself because he took this literally, uh, but we know that that doesn't stop you from lusting, unfortunately, for him. He didn't know that. Um, so don't take it literally. I guess that wasn't intended to be a joke, but I guess it is. <laughs> um, but the, the, severity, the severity of it, 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 Jesus is trying to say, is, is way more than you think it is. If you think it's this bad, actually it's like 20 times worse. 
And you need to be willing to sacrifice your life to, to, hand, to deal with this, to give it over to me, because otherwise it'll consume your entire body. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, this was like one of our most common conversations. I mean, we talk about pornography probably about every month, every two months with um, the boys. And actually, statistically now, about 60% of women struggle with pornography. So we, we had actually introduced a, kind of a girls' spinoff on it as well. And, um, and one of the most consistent things is you'd have a boy or a girl who struggle with pornography. You know, we, we'd have, we'd work through them telling their parents, which is a huge step. Um, and, you know, we were trying to help their parents. And the most frustrating thing would be when you have a kid who is like, yeah, I'm really struggling, and, uh, and I, 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 like, can't, I, need, I need accountability. And, and I'm like, I tell the parents, I'm like, hey, you know, your kid keeps accessing this through their phone. You should probably take their phone and give them, like, a dumb phone or whatever. And they're like, oh, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. And I, I, I'm just like, you are literally, this is why Jesus is telling you this. Do you want your kid's entire body to be caught on fire, destroyed, and thrown in hell, or do you want just their arm? Because that's your choice right now. Like, get rid of their phone. And I think as adults, we, we feel weirdly enough about this too. We're like, yeah, I know I'm kind of getting under control. And I'm like, well, uh, do you struggle on social media? Yeah, yeah, no, I really do. Okay, well, have you deleted it? No, 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 I just, no, I'm just trying to not, not do bad things on it. Okay, well, uh, do you have a computer? Yeah, do you go on a computer late at night? Yeah, do you struggle late at night? Yeah, well, have you put up any, like, blockers? Or any? Well, no, no, I just, I, I, you know, it's really annoying. It, like, blocks sites that, I'm, that aren't even bad. And I'm like, okay, well, this is, let's just read this passage, and, and what do you think Jesus is trying to tell you here? You are trying to act like it's not as big of a deal as it is. Like, is your marriage worth you not being able to go on Yahoo when you want to? because it's blocked for some dumb reason. Is your marriage worth you having Instagram on your phone or you having a dumb phone and maybe sometimes getting lost because it doesn't have a GPS? Like, honestly. And we, we start to play these games in our head like it's not really that bad, it's not really that bad, but I mean, Jesus along with, with this is actually not near as severe. I mean, I mean, he's more severe in this instance than even the other five, I feel like. He's like, the, like it will kill you. And for us as a church, the one reason why I... I was like, man, this, this, is, this is not fun to teach, <laughs> straight up, is because we're all young. And, and to be honest, young people, I think, struggle with this, even statistically, way more than older people. And so it's very, very knowing in my heart, breaking through this week, that many of you are struggling with this right now. And some of, some of you have people that know, and some of you have no idea, never told anyone. And so this is a thing that's hard because it affects so many of us. But I also think about the freedom that we find in talking about this now is the freedom that you will experience in your marriage in 10 years or your family in 10 years or even just your own mental health in two years. Like the habits you create now will be the habits that will carry you in your marriage or your, or your life for a long time. And so many of us, I think, have to, have, to, have to cut off the arm now because if you keep waiting, your entire body is going to be consumed by it. And I think we read this passage and, and it actually it's, it says... Whoever looks at a woman, and you're like, whew, safe, like, I'm a girl, I don't have to worry about this, right? Not the case, right? All right? That's, let's, like, let's look at the principle here. There are things that we are coveting and that we are adult, uh, being adulterous with in our lives right now uh, that might not just be a woman and desiring, you know, sexual fulfillment or whatever from her. There are many things in our own personal lives that are, that are eating us inside, and we're not willing to talk about them. We're not willing to confront them or, or even, even acknowledge the severity of these issues. And so I want to close with this. Uh, I want to turn to Hosea. If you've ever read Hosea, it's a great story. It's a prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, in Hosea 1, it says this in verse 2. 
When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, he said to him, Go marry a prostitute who will bear illegitimate children, conceive through prostitution, because the nation continually commits spiritual prostitution by turning away from the Lord. You know, have any of you guys ever had a dream like that? You know, you say, hey, I'm, I really think God wants me to marry her. And I was like, oh, really? Because I think God might want you to go marry this prostitute that I know. That's what, this is crazy. I mean, it's crazy. And so what does he do? Verse 3, Hosea marries Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceives and gives birth to a son for him. Then the Lord says to Hosea, name him at Jezreel, because in a little while, uh, and then I'll skip down to verse 6. Sorry, not, not really that helpful. Verse 6, she conceives again. She has several children. That one was his, the first one. Verse 6, she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And then the Lord said to him, name her no pity, which that's what it means, but the word is lo rahama, uh, because I will no longer have pity on the nation of Israel, which are his people, for I will certainly not forgive their guilt. Uh, if you're wondering, the name of, that, of, of his daughter is most likely meaning that he is not the father of that child, that she had went back into prostitution while they were married. Uh, and then she has another child uh, in verse 8, when she weaned, no pity. She conceived again and gave birth to another son. And then the Lord said, name him, not my people, because you are not my people and I am not your God. Now this is, Seems pretty, pretty crazy. But in chapter 3, uh, this woman, Gomer, had run off again, you know. And, and I think about the idea of, like, I don't know, Hosea, you know, we didn't hang out, you know. We didn't hang out in the backyard and talk about life. But I feel like he was probably a pretty good husband. If he followed the Lord, he was a prophet. But for some reason, she kept running off from him and their marriage. And in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, the Lord said to me, Hosea, go show love to your wife again, even though she loves another man and continually commits adultery. Likewise, the Lord loves the Israelites, although they turn other gods and love to offer raising cakes to idols. How about that? Raising cakes to idols. And so Gomer pays 15 shekels of silver and about seven bushels of barley to purchase her. And then I told her, you must live with me many days. You must not commit adultery or be joined to another man, and I also will wait for you, for the Israelites must live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice, etc., etc. Here, Hosea is literally having to go buy back her, his, his wife and, with his own money, knowing that she is going to continually be unfaithful to him again. And we read this story, and we think a couple of different things. One, we think Hosea is crazy. More like he's faithful. God called him to do it. He did it. Good for him. Uh, number two, we think, wow, Hosea's life must have been incredibly difficult and, and, and just tense and sad and sorrowful. In fact, he probably felt like, man, I don't even know if I can love people. This is like ruining me. And then we look at Gomer and we're like, man, Gomer's so dumb. Why would she keep like, th this guy's like the only one who's really loving her. And she like wants to go back into prostitution knowing there's like abuse and neglect and, and, all, and all that. Why does she keep doing this? And God is using this story as an illustration of essentially us, at the time it was Israel, but it would be us just in how adulterous we are with God. One of the most powerful things when I had dealt with my, uh, when, I, when I was struggling with pornography was, you know, I, I would consider myself virtuous because I wasn't like promiscuous. Like I wasn't out in the club trying to manipulate girls and, and do things with them and all my buddies would. And so I was thinking, well, mine's just like a private matter, right? It's like, I'm better. I don't, like, it's not near as bad. That's, they're going out and like, a, you know, manipulating these women or whatever. And then I read the idea of what Jesus is calling adultery here. He says, but I, but I say to you, and I realized that I was committing adultery through pornography. 
And I, I realize, I read Hosea now, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's me. Like, I am the gomer in this story. We are the gomers in this story. And so all the thoughts that we're thinking, all the anger that we absorb on a gomer is actually a lot of us are putting on ourselves right now. In fact, many of you have been struggling with this or struggling with adultery and secrecy in some sort, whatever that is you're adulterating. You are dealing with this very same shame and guilt that I imagine we, in anger even, that we feel when we read about Gomer and we're like, what is up with this person? And God says this in verse 2. He says, I will commit myself to you forever. I will commit myself to you in righteousness and justice and steadfast love and tender compassion. I will commit myself to you in faithfulness and then you will acknowledge the Lord and then I will plant her as my own in the land and I will have pity on no pity. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he will say, you are my God. Jesus is, is, is letting us in on a glimpse here and I want to invite the band up um, as I close here, that the, the shame, the guilt, the secrecy, the lying that we do to ourselves, to others, in the midst of sin is, is just killing us. And it's, it's in our souls because it came through our eyes. And it's eating us up. And it needs to be brought into the light. And it needs to, be, it, it needs to experience freedom. And so when I went to college, I... Um, this is really part, I tell people this, you know, when they, hey, when did Jesus become real to you? I went to college, and I uh, was still kind of struggling pretty, pretty bad with, um, with, with loss and things like that. And I went to this event, it was like two weeks into school, and uh, I was at this Christian school, and I didn't really want to go there. I ended up, it just, like Emily, doors closed very obviously in my face. So I was like, all right, here we go. So I went there, and, uh, and two weeks in, they had a, a night where all the RAs got to tell their stories, and we got to eat Buffalo Wild Wings, which is just a great, a great deal for a freshman boy. And so everyone's packed out in this room, and there's six RAs, and every single one of them tells their story, and, 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 and every single one of them who I had, like, admired in those two weeks, I was like, these guys are, like, spiritual juggernauts. They're amazing. They're fantastic. Like, I want to be just like them. Every single one of them went up on the stage, and he said, you know, my name is so-and-so, and they told their story, and they said, I, I've been struggling with pornography for five years, or X amount of years, or I've been hiding in pride and, and shame, and, and I just, and I, I, you know, and we found freedom, and we want to share it with others. And I just wept. I mean, I just, I could not believe that, you know, it's lonely. It's a, it's, a, it's a lonely place to be struggling and not have help and community around you and to bring it to Jesus. And it's, it is just, it makes you feel like trash. It affects your ability to be a good father. It affects, which is sad it's Father's Day because I, I don't want to make you feel guilty, but it affects everything around you. And to see the freedom that these guys were living in in the midst of still being broken was one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen. And that day, I mean, felt like the piano was lifted off me. And uh, through the grace of God, I mean, I've, I've taken really serious steps to be in recovery. And um, the freedom that I've found and the fruit that God has given me from it has been astronomical. And so I just want to encourage you guys. We, uh, we do reflection time every week. Uh, there is bread and cup in the back. And we take that every week as a reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. And for many of you, I think this is the time for you to come honest with Jesus and maybe even others. Um, if there's something that you, the devil has just been hiding in you and there's freedom to be found, that we find it in the cross, we find it in the sacrifice Jesus made for us. And one of the most freeing things is knowing that we are supposed to be free people. And if you don't feel free right now, then you're probably not free. 
and you need and you need to bring it to the light because the light is is freedom and it casts out darkness. And so uh, we're gonna give you like a minute or so if you want to take communion. But you can also and what I want to encourage you uniquely this week is we have a couple people back who would love to pray for you. I'll be back there as well if you'd like prayer. Um, and if this is something that you just feel like whether you've been struggling with it, whether you've been hiding it or you haven't, uh, and you want to find freedom in this. I just encourage you to come tell me. Um, if we have two people or ten people, I wanna I wanna walk with you all and, and help help create a culture um, where we talk about this and we care about it. So we'll give you a little bit of time, and then we're gonna sing one more song. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.